foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town, celebrating 30 years on the air. This week featuring guests from 1999, including Dave Alvin, Kim Ritchie, Ricardo Lembo, Chris Isaac, Bruce Coburn, and more. Plus, a conversation with author and journalist Farai Shadea. I'm Helen Forster. Right now, here's our host, Nick Forster. Thanks, Helen. Welcome, everybody, to E-Town. This week, we've got the highlight reel, some of the best and brightest moments from our archives, this time focusing on the year 1999. We're going to cover some ground this week with music from Hawaii, from Scotland, West Africa, Cuba, Canada, and of course the U.S. We've got some stories and a chat with a young writer and journalist who then went on to become well-known around the world. Our first chunk of music includes three Hawaiian slack-key guitar masters, an amazing recording of Canadian Bruce Coburn singing with Helen, sounds great. And we start with one of those slightly unsung but really talented heroes of the acoustic guitar, Kelly Joe Phelps, here on stage at E-Town from back in 1999. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to have a uh, very special guest here uh, play banjo with me. His name is Nick Forrester, and he's not the same Nick Forrester that hosts this show. He's, he's Nick Forrester's cousin from Tennessee. He plays the banjo, and he's a sight better looking than the Nick Forrester that hosts the show. Well, you understand. All right, here we go. A song about trains and girls. Two things that are close. Uh, not really. <laughs> Where were you when a train left town? I was standing on the corner, my head hanging down. I'd be crying, hey, 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 hey. Train carried my girl away. train left town I was standing on the corner thinking about nothing but a girl left town and yeah train carried my girl away ashes to ashes and dust to dust show me the woman Lord that I can trust Show me the woman that I can trust I'll be crying, hey I'll be crying, hey For that train carrying my girl away from town For that train carrying my girl away from town For that train carrying my girl away from town
train would wreck Kill the engineer and break the fireman's neck Wish to the Lord that train would run aground Bring my girl back to this here town I'll be crying, hey I'll be crying, hey Joe Phelps. Uh. Bruce Coburn, before we get back to your, uh, some more songs from your new record, I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about that trip to Mali. Went over there to make a documentary about mm. desertification. Now, had uh, the idea of the Earth's soil turning to dust, desertification, is that something that had uh, been on your mind, something you'd been aware of and working on? Not really. I was aware that we have a water problem in the world, but desertification as such uh, is a problem that's been known about, I guess, for the last couple of decades, but it's only been in recent times that people have been making a concerted effort to educate us all about it and to address the problem yeah. in any kind of meaningful way. And desertification is defined as the degradation of, dry, of arid land into actual desert, so land that's useful for farming seasonally or for grazing animals on and so on becomes useless in terms of human habitation. And um, I thought it was amazing that there were people in the film who were, you know, elders in these communities who might have been 70 years old, something like that, who remembered in their lifetime very clearly looking around their village even mm -hmm. 30 years ago or 40 years ago and seeing forests, seeing yeah. trees as far as you can see. And now it was sort of scrubland yeah, at best, and in some cases, sand dunes. There's hints of that forest left in the form of dry, uh, eroded stumps and things covering the hillsides. But, but in a person's lifetime, that's a pretty amazing transformation. Yeah. There were some signs of hope. You talked about uh, introduction of some different crops and trying to sort of get a little crop rotation going on to try to rejuvenate, regenerate some, some nutrients in the soil, and some young people going away, come back, that we're trying to sort of help things change a little bit. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, it sort of speaks to your lifetime commitment to trying to raise issues in amongst the music, in between the songs that affect us all. And this is another good example of that. I think the film, by the way, is called River of Sand. I think you did a great job. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let's get back to music. Welcome back to E-Town once again. 
Bruce Coburn. Thanks very much. I'm going to ask uh, Nick and Helen to join me. Whole night sky. 
Our next guests are three of the best examples of what Hawaiian music is really all about. These three slack key guitar masters have been touring together for a while. We're lucky to have them with us. Please welcome Cyril Pahanui, Dennis Kamakahi, and George Kahomoku. Aloha. Aloha. Ahulili. We're going to play a song. Uh, see, our cowboys are called Paniolos back home. Paniolo means Spanish. Cowboys. Cowboys. Back in uh, 1780, when J Captain George Vancouver came over from England, he presented a herd of cattle to Kamehameha I. And uh, Hawaiians never saw cows before, so they thought they were dogs, <laughs> pets. And what happened was the cattle got out of hand and, and propagated, and you could find them all in the forest, eating up all the foliage. And finally, on behalf of the king, uh, they sent six cowboys. And with that uh, coming of the Mexican cowboys, they brought their instruments. The guitar yeah. was the first to come to Hawaii. Yeah. Anyway, here's a cowboy song called Ahulili, about a beautiful hill on the island of Maui. Yeah, how about Nick? Why don't you join us with a song? Aloha no ahuli, hili li pahakoia, kikau maoleia, kau ukau kuahiri. Aloha no ahuli, hili li pahakoia, kikau maoleia, kau ukau kuahiri. Kau 
Aina mai kapuana Eloha noa hulili Helili pako hiana Iki kauma oleia Dennis Kamakai, George Kahumoku, Dancing Cat recording artist. Cyril, Dennis, and George Grape, slack key guitarist from Hawaii. Thank you. We'll be back with more from the E Town archives and our look at 1999 after a short break. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. You're listening to E-Town. Welcome back. I'm Nick Forster. You're listening to our special look back at our 1999 season. Coming up, we've got Chris Isaac, Kim Ritchie, and Dave Alvin. But let's start with my introduction to an outstanding African-American journalist who was then in her 20s on stage at E-Town back in 1999. Farai Chidea is an author. She's an ABC News correspondent, an anchor, an award-winning journalist, CNN political analyst, national affairs editor of Vibe magazine, former writer for MTV News, her previous book, Don't Believe the Hype, is now in its eighth printing, and her latest book, The Color of Our Future, is just coming out. She's still in her 20s, folks. Those, Tenuously. Those, uh, <laughs> those underachievers of us out there are made nervous by people like her. So here she, watch out. Here she comes from New York City, Farai Chidea. Please welcome her to eat town. Thanks. I'm just glad to be here and listen to the music. This is fun. And especially now, you're going to have to go out and buy all these Hawaiian records. I know. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You're going to help uh, get those guys on MTV and stuff like that? Uh, I think it would be fabulous. I don't know that I have that power. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me talk a little bit about your new book. I want to touch just briefly on your previous book, which was really about breaking misconceptions about racial issues in this country. And you have a great quiz on your website. Right which I didn't do very well on, uh, see? but I tried. I did okay, like a six out <laughs> of ten. It's a test your racial issues IQ quiz. And yeah. it you know, just shows that there are a lot of things we presume about race in America that we don't really know that much about. In my industry, the media is sometimes at fault because you know, when you're watching news, whether it's news in the sense of the evening news or news in the sense of cops, you know, you see like for drug crimes, you see all these black and brown people thrown up against police cruisers and handcuffed when actually blacks and whites have equal rates of drug use. And so those are the kinds of things I point out that the images we get are not necessarily descriptive in an accurate way of what America is like. Right. You talked about one of the questions of the quiz was which ratio is accurate of 
black kids in college as opposed to black kids in jail. Right. And I've forgotten what the statistics is. It's three it two, times as many in college. Three times as Thank many goodness. in college. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not to say that there isn't an enormously disproportionate number right. of black young kids in jail. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, when you talk about the criminal justice system and this country becoming more diverse, we have to look, you know, states like California are now spending far more on prisons than they are on colleges. And that's, uh, I think, a very disturbing trend in American society. That's the kind of thing you're really trying to make available to people through your website and through all the work you're doing, making those facts and so people can make more informed decisions. Uh, your new book talks about the fact that in 50 years, this is going to be a different looking America than it is right now. Right. In 50 years, for the first time ever, there will be more Latinos, Blacks, Asians, and Native Americans total than there will be whites. And I think that that is really going to turn upside down this whole image of what America is, because for better or worse, we've kind of defined America as a white country, as this, you know, leave it to beaver, middle America, pilgrims came over and fed everybody turkey kind of country. And that's um, <laughs> it's never been completely accurate, um, and it certainly won't be in the future. I mean, my take on your new book was not, it wasn't scary. It was almost like a primer or a sort of a survival guide. You're introducing us to these characters throughout the country who have amazing stories that have to do with racial issues in one way or another from, you know, all over the map, all over the spectrum. Right. I mean, there's no way to do a comprehensive study of race because we're so different. I mean, I didn't get to Hawaii. I would have found completely different things had I gone there. But, for example, I went to the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana where there's 7,000 tribe members on 2.5 million acres of land. And the teenagers there really face the decision, do I stay in my community and face the 70% unemployment rate? Or do I leave and leave my language, leave my family, and work? I mean, it's that simple, and it's a very desperate uh, choice that they have to face. And then I went to um, a 99% white town where the kids were listening to hip hop, but at the same time, they would literally say, oh my god, I was at the mall, and there was this black person, and it looked just like they do on TV. And so there was this familiarity with the image on MTV, but not really a familiarity in real life. In case you just joined us, you're listening to E10. We're speaking with Farai Chidea. When did you know that all this stuff was going to consume you personally? I really started writing the proposal for this book way back when some friends of mine were visiting me from the Bay Area. I live in Manhattan. My friend Pam, who's my college roommate, who's Chinese-American, was visiting with her boyfriend, who's white. And I had all these people to dinner, and they were of every shade, race, description. And even though New York is a very multiracial city, that doesn't mean that people mix. You still find very much all white pockets, all black pockets, all Latino pockets, even within a city like New York. And I began to think about why it is that we don't mix even when there's a mixture around us, partly out of fear, out of prejudice, out of economic uh, stratification. And, and so I wanted to bring up those issues as well. Yeah. I know that on your website there was one comment that uh, someone was suggesting that because you're identifying all these different groups, that you were maybe promoting the separation, the segregation, the stratification, because you're pointing out all these differences. Well, my whole reality, or the way that I look at things, is that we shouldn't try to be alike, but we should try to be equal. And so, for example, at the end of my book, I have a lot of suggestions, and one of them is to promote color equality rather than color blindness. I think that we have to be able to accept each other's differences. I live a 15-minute walk from New York's Chinatown, and I don't want Chinatown to be like every other neighborhood, but I do want the people in Chinatown to have an equal opportunity in New York the same way that I want the people in Harlem to have an equal opportunity. We don't have to be the same, but we do have to resolve the inequalities of income and educational opportunity in this country. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Mm -hmm. Karai Chidea.
Thanks. Chris Isaac, thanks for being here. It's taken a while. It's good to be here. So what song's the title song to your new record? Speak of the Devil. Speak of the Devil. And it's not, as some people have suggested, an evil thing also. The record is nothing, there's nothing satanic. Kids can listen to this and lead happy and productive lives. No, actually, uh, actually it is a satanic record. I don't know where you get that. It's pretty much, uh, it's pretty satanic verses to a druid beat, but... It, to me, it's like I put it on around the holidays, and at my house, it reminds me of when I was a kid. And I guess, I don't know if a lot of people, you have music at the holidays, you put it on. And my parents, I remember the holidays, chased me around with pieces of raw meat and stuff. And, well, maybe it, was, maybe it was different in your, I don't know what your religion is. I, I certainly wouldn't laugh at it. I, yeah. that, warm, that warm holiday feeling. I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to you more about that. But my look at the time, we've got to go. And uh, let's get back to music. Welcome back, would you please, along with his band, Silvertone, Mr. Chris Isaac.
Chris Isaac, along with Kenny Johnson, Rolly Sally, Brett Tuggle, Herschel Yadovitz, Silvertone.
Jim Ritchie. Chest is burning. Oh, my darling dear, please shed no tears. For oh, I think that it's paid to warn you 
Mr. Dave Alvin, along with Rick Shea and electric guitar and mandolin in the E-Tones. Dave Alvin. Thank you, Dave Alvin, Kim Ritchie, Chris Isaac, with his classic hit song that includes the coolest electric guitar sound, and, of course, for Aishadea. We'll be back with more from E-Town's 1999 season after a break. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like KDRT in Davis, California, on WCNR 106.1 The Corner in Charlottesville, Virginia, and on KRSC in Tulsa, Oklahoma. As always, if you want some more information about E-Town or anything that we're up to, lots of info is available at etown.org. Okay, coming up next... We've got some more music that is, once again, further proof that, really, music is the universal language. We're going to cross all kinds of boundaries and borders, including some music that was born in Kinshasa, inspired by Cuban salsa, influenced by American R&B. I'm talking about Ricardo Lemvo and his band Makina Loca. But before that, we're going to actually hear from a couple of really outstanding Scottish musicians playing an American tune and telling a little bit of a story Right now, here comes Ollie Bain and Phil Cunningham on stage at E-Town from back in 1999. Which one of you knows more tunes? Well, I guess Phil does because he writes about Dane every day. And I, I just know the ones I knew from before, but he's always writing <laughs> There's, there's one of these uh, kind of incredible things is that we do have a kind of a massive repertoire between us. But the minute somebody said, can you choose six songs? I say what you said today, right? Choose some songs for us to play on, on the radio. We could not come up with one. Oh. <laughs> you don't remember the names or you just remember the tunes? I mean, because that's the hard part for me, too. I remember a lot of tunes, but I don't remember what they're called all the time. Well, it doesn't really matter what they're called, as long as they're good tunes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, actually, a lot of people think that Scottish music is just all the same tune with different names. 
I can, uh, if, if we have the time, I can tell you there's something my brother told someone from the Smithsonian Institute. He played a tune called Come Ye By Athol. And uh, the lady who was from the Smithsonian Institute thought that he said, Cut Ye My Apple. And she came up to Johnny after the concert and said, excuse me, sir, I'm doing a, a study for the Smithsonian Institute and I, I would love to learn about that tune you, you, you wrote or you perform called I Cut Ye My Apple. And my brother is a pathological liar and it was no trouble to him just to spit off the top of his head. He said, um, well, in the olden days, during the kind of days of, you know, William Wallace and, and the clan and... He said, when there was a battle, what they used to do was step forward with a piece of fruit or vegetables. <laughs> Whatever was in season, you would hold it out in your hand and you would say to your opposing chief, just to prove that you were just, you know, ordinary guys fighting for the same cause, he said, uh, cut you my turnip or cut you my swede. Or whatever was in season, right? Now, he said what happened was at the Battle of Culloden. It wasn't a good day for the Scots. It was not a good day for the Scots, but what actually happened was that uh, our champion stepped forward with an apple in his hand and said to the English uh, champion, cut ye my apple. And uh, the Englishman cut his uh, arm off at the elbow. He said, and it completely demoralized the Scots. And, and we lost the battle. He said, and to this day, that's why the Scots don't eat fruit or vegetables. <laughs> All right, I think that's enough. <laughs> All right, well, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this just because, you know, as a fan of American traditional music and I know, you know, has a little bit about where it came from and you guys are such great uh, representatives, musically speaking, of, uh, of this tradition. Well said. <laughs> but I, I think it would be quite cool to play uh, an American tune, just now, uh, a tune called Bonaparte's Retreat. And uh, we know that you're a bit of a dab hand uh, on the guitar, Nick, and I wondered if you'd like to join us. Be happy to.
Holly Bain and Phil Cunningham. Ricardo, let me, uh, let me ask you a little bit. You, you uh, grew up in Kinshasa, is that right? Yes, that's right. I grew up in Kinshasa and in Los Angeles. Yeah. I understand you live near a uh, kind of a bar, a buvette, a place where they played music and people would hang around. It was near your house when you were uh, growing up? Yes, I actually lived next door to a, uh, a bar and uh, where I memorized all the songs and uh, all the lyrics and uh, the melodies. Like what songs? What songs would they play? Um, they were mostly uh, Congolese rumbas and uh, Cuban somontunos, and also uh, American rhythm and blues, you know, James Brown, uh, Otis Redding, and uh, I learned most of uh, the songs, uh, James Brown and Otis Redding phonetically. Yeah. I sang them, but I didn't know what I yeah. was singing. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, the, uh, what about the Spanish tunes? Did you learn Spanish? Yes. Huh? Uh, when I came to America, I learned Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty wild. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. So, so you, there, there's such a distinct difference between the styles of music, the sukus or the, the African popular music, and you can certainly hear it, and the difference between that and the more salsa stuff. Do the traditional Latin audiences understand and what you're doing? Oh, yes. Um, at first, they were, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they were puzzled, yeah, because they didn't know what we were doing. Uh, although they recognize the rhythm, you know, the salsa that we sure. do, yeah. but uh, they kept asking me, but what is that all the stuff that you're doing? I said, well, that's sukus, and that's what the music that we play is about. Yeah. It's a fusion of um, Congolese sukus and Cuban salsa. Yeah, yeah it works just fine, <laughs> I have to tell you. <laughs> Welcome back to E10, would you please? Ricardo Limvo and his great band.
That was Ricardo Lemvo and Makina Loca. And thanks again to Ali Bain and Phil Cunningham. Thanks to all of you for spending some time with us this week. I also want to thank all of our guests for being a part of this special look at 1999. And thanks to our production team, Todd Ayers, Donna Giardina, and a special thanks to Helen Forster. We're going to go out with a piece of a finale that we recorded in Somerville, Massachusetts, with the Bobs and Bruce Coburn. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town. I found my thrill On Blueberry Hill On Blueberry This is a production of E-Town. Wow, we hope you loved our 1999 Best Of show as much as we did. It's so cool to go through the archives and listen to all these things. And of course, everybody has their own favorites and their own highlights, but we really covered some ground. Thanks again to all our guests, and thanks to you for listening.